Welcome to the NFT video mini-series presented by StockTwits. I'm one of the hosts for this series, Jacob, and I'm the co-founder of the NFT card game Duo. We are super excited to be partnering with StockTwits to bring you this educational series all about NFTs. So let's jump into the video. Thanks again for joining us for another video in our NFT mini series, kind of diving into the topics of NFTs and blockchain technology with the founder of Duo, Jason. And today we're gonna to be looking at kind of NFT uh, data, so to say. What are kind of the key characteristics of NFTs or NFT projects that we should be looking at? So Jason, give me a rundown of some of the key things that I should be looking out for when I'm looking at an NFT. Yeah, and I think this is where data gets really heavy into like the nerds and the traders and the flippers and all of these people who love just looking at numbers to make decisions. Yeah. But I think it's really important and it's really valuable as you assess any NFT project. So I think maybe something that would be helpful is going through some of the terms or even the lingo and then what do these data points mean? Because it can get really confusing if you haven't been in the world of trading already. For sure. So um, I think that you know we should just start with kind of the obvious one, which is probably volume, right? So what is that when it comes to an NFT project? Yeah. So volume is geared around like what are the total amount of sales or the number of NFTs that have transacted within a window of time. So oftentimes this will be on a daily basis or maybe a seven-day rolling basis or the last month, but it tells you how many NFTs are exchanging hands or what amount, US dollars or crypto, are changing hands within a given time. So it's a good indicator if you're looking for, is this a popular NFT? Is it changing hands? Are people flipping it? Are they moving it around often? And that's also referred to oftentimes as liquidity. So what, what can I expect out of this NFT project? If I do buy one, do I have a chance of actually selling it? So when you refer to liquidity of these um, different NFT projects, what about the sales mechanism kind of coming out of that mint primary and then on the secondary market, what does that look like in terms of uh, the liquidity? Yeah, so anytime an NFT project starts up and you have that primary sale or oftentimes it's called the mint, right? Mm -hmm. When it's first created, the author or the creator of that NFT releases it out into the community they say there's 10,000 of these available. They cost you know $50 a piece uh, to start from. That is the primary sale or the, the primary market. And when you look at data points, you'll see primary market sales or maybe initial mint sales. And that's just describing like how much money did the creator get out of the gate from selling these NFTs, which is actually different than the volume because a lot of people think, oh, well, the creators of this NFT project have received all of this money when that's not really the case. They've just created it, sent it out into the community, and then it's the trades between community members that make up the, the overall volume uh, in the future. And that's actually the secondary sales market. So right. uh, if you buy an NFT off of a mint, and then you end up selling it to me for double the price two days later. Sounds like a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing for you. Uh, maybe I missed out on the mint or didn't know about the mint, um, but that means that that transaction is a secondary market sale, right? So that would be measured in secondary sales or secondary market analysis. So when we're talking about these mints, um, what are kind of the key characteristics of a mint 
for NFTs is do I always want to buy off of the mint? Do I ever want to buy off of a secondary market? And how long does these minting periods last? Well, uh, that's a great question. And it, it really is a variable based off of how they mint NFTs. Now, there may be some use cases where, uh, like Ghost Chain here behind me, it's a piece of art. There's only 25 copies of that NFT uh, and they're individually numbered. So one through 25. Um, that's the only differentiation other than there's only 25 out there. And so I would buy that at the mint, but I do know what I'm getting, right? I don't know which number I'm getting, but I know that I am getting that piece of art. Uh, whereas in other NFT projects, like uh, the game that I created, Duo, we actually have uh, color card packs. So they're random cards that are, that are minted out um, and you kind of get a, a variety of rarity, a variety mm. of uh, cards yeah. to play with. Almost like a token box or something where you don't know what's gonna come out at the other end. Right, so it allows you to get something really rare or super valuable for, for kind of a, a static or a stable price. Yeah. So there is this, this fun mechanism of, oh, I get to find out what I get. I get to unlock something new. Random drop. Yeah, I, I get this random drop. And so it, it does allow people who may not be able to afford a really rare item on the secondary market to have access to that through a randomized uh, minting process. And, and that's really where the primary sales can be so much more valuable because it's a lower price generally. Mm -hmm. It is uh, oftentimes a random allocation of whatever the NFT is. Uh, and then you are able to uh, take that into the secondary market and sell it. So for example, with Duo, yeah. our card game, maybe somebody really likes the card, the color card Ethereum, right? So they could get that and use it across any of the funny jokes that we can create. And they may be willing to pay a significant amount more in the secondary market just to get that specific card. Like they don't want to try and unlock it. They want to actually go out and buy it. Right, and so this allows them to go out there and do that on the secondary market. Absolutely. So on the secondary markets, I've seen sometimes uh, this floor price. And yeah. what does that floor price actually mean? So the floor price is, it's kind of the lingo, right? And what it means is it's the cheapest price that you can buy one of the NFTs in that collection on the secondary marketplace. So if you're looking at a board ape, for example, the floor price of a board ape would mean the cheapest board ape that is out there for sale right now in the secondary market. And I think that the interesting thing about floor prices are a lot of people use it as a measure of success or how good is it to get into a project. And it's often yeah. because the floor price to the average price is where you could make your money if you're a flipper, right? So if the floor price was at say $10, but you could sell something at average for $100, you might, good. You, you might not sell it for 100 bucks, but even if you sell it for 70 or 80, like you can flip a pretty good profit off of that. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, return. Yeah. Do that. So if you're looking to flip, look for the difference between that floor price and the average price of an NFT project. So I know we've talked a lot about these gas fees, right? And kind of the gas fee horror stories of Ethereum. Does that floor price include those gas fees or not? No, so gas fees are always tacked on to the cost of your NFT. It's kind of like the network fee. It's, it's what you are paying for the, um, 
the opportunity, let's say, <laughs> to transact on that blockchain. So different blockchains will have different gas fees or network fees are often called as well. And so when you're looking at a floor price or when you're looking at an average price of an NFT, those don't include the gas fees. So basically the gas fees just kind of like always suck. Yeah, they always suck. Well, that's just part of uh, doing doing business on the blockchain, I suppose. That's right. Well, I mean, hey, we have transaction fees in our everyday life. Visa, MasterCard, yep. 3% every time. Credit card processing fees and, and all that. So uh, the last kind of thing that I wanted to talk about when we talked about these NFT data points that I've noticed is um, different wallet addresses versus unique buyers. So what is kind of the difference between that? What should I be aware of and what should I be focusing on? Yeah, so when you're going through all of this data, you may see some data points around the number of unique wallet addresses, or maybe even they'll try and group it into unique buyers yeah. or unique transactions even. So there's three main buckets here. Let's talk about the number of unique transactions. So unique transactions is just, I'm buying five NFTs in a transaction, right? So I might be getting five NFTs, but I'm only doing it in one transaction. So that shows, okay, how are people buying these? Are they buying these individually? Or are they buying them in groups? Then that kind of the next level up is unique wallet addresses. So how many NFTs exist across all of the wallet addresses on that blockchain? And wallet addresses, a lot of people don't realize how easy it is to just spin up a new wallet address. It's free, yeah. doesn't cost you anything, which means that I could have 100 wallet addresses or I could have one wallet address depending on how I want to look to the network, because it's all public. You can see what's in my wallet address, even if you don't know that I own it. And then this is where we kind of get to trying to measure, well, if somebody can have an infinite number of wallet addresses, they could own a thousand NFTs or they could own one. So how do I know if it is a unique buyer or a unique individual? And that's where people try and do some clever analysis around we think that there are this many individual buyers, but it's really impossible to say for certainty. And how do they even go about trying to peg that number down? That seems like an impossibility to me. Yeah, it's different, and each one of these data platforms have a, a different algorithm to try and do that. There's some patterns that you could analyze of how people are buying off of a mint or who they sell to or don't sell to in a secondary market. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do this, but the reality is, Unique buyers is almost always a really poor data set uh, in my mind to go off of. So what is the most important data set that you like to go off of? I think just looking at the overall transaction. So are people buying individual NFTs? How long are they holding on to them? Because mm -hmm. they may hold on to them for a long period of time, even if there's a lot of liquidity, meaning a lot of transactions happening in the network. So what, is, what does that look like? And then also this idea of, if I'm sweeping the floor, meaning I go in and buy all the cheapest NFTs to raise the floor price. So let's say there's a thousand NFTs at $10 and then there's another group at like 50 bucks. Well, if I go spend $10,000 and sweep the floor, buy all of those NFTs, then I've just moved the floor price up to 50. So yeah. I could immediately turn around and say, all of those are at the new floor price of 50 and I could turn a $10,000 spend into a $50,000 profit. Well, thank you, Jason, for giving us some insight into some of these data points to look at. And now we hopefully have a better understanding of kind of like what 
things uh, I should be looking at and what those mean when I'm looking at NFT projects. So definitely appreciate your time with that. Yeah, and I know we only scratched the surface, but uh, there's a lot to get through here. And if there's any lingo that people want more information about, I'm happy to share. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in to our NFT mini series video by StockTwits. Uh, there will be more videos coming soon, so make sure you stay tuned for those, and we'll see you in those videos.